I would like to carry on from where I left off last week looking at the book of Ruth and make just a few further comments. As we noted uh, last week, Ruth's story takes place in the period of the Judges. And by the time you get to the end of the, the Judges, the book of Judges says, uh, every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a period of political and economic uncertainty, um, upheaval in many ways. And into that situation, there is this deep famine that takes place. And there is just simply no food. And Elimelech and Naomi gather their two young boys and take them to Moab. Now Moab is situated on the east of the Jordan River and the Moabites are historically fairly antagonistic towards the uh, people of Israel. Um, Ruth, who is the centerpiece of the this short book, the story, is a Moabitess. And Moab, the whole tribe of Moab, had come about when Lot was fleeing Sodom and um, in that historically recorded incident where he has intercourse with his eldest daughter, Moab is the result of that. And Moab is both Lot's son and grandson in Genesis 19. And when Israel is coming through uh, the backside of the wilderness to come to the promised land before they cross over the Jordan River, Moab um, it, it refuses Israel passage through because of the huge number of people that there are. Historically, there were other in incidents where Balaam is sent to curse Israel and uh, David subdivides Moab. It, it's a fractious history that there is between Israel and Moab. And in Amos, um, Moab is denounced. So there's that. It, it would have taken a huge amount of resolve for Elimelech and Naomi to get up and to go to live in Moab. They must have been absolutely desperate at that point. And then, of course, there's um, Boaz in the story. Boaz also has an interesting history. Boaz, um, his mother, is the uh, so-called prostitute that al allows the... Um, spies to come in to Jericho. Um, there's some measure of uh, doubt as to exactly what her, her position was in Jericho, but it seems that the word that describes what she was and who she was, that she was probably an innkeeper and there was probably a very mixed kind of understanding of what was going on there. But, but that's the kind of floral history that Boaz has. And um, that, so... The reason to mention all that is that these two people, Ruth and Boaz, who actually are at the end of the story, united as husband and wife, and through whom comes David and ultimately Jesus, um, have, have backgrounds that are part, partly excluded. But it doesn't matter where you start in the story, it's where you end up. And I think that's important because... When it comes to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, right at the beginning, where the genealogy is being um, uh, set out in terms of Jesus' history, the two women that are mentioned in that genealogy are Rahab and Ruth. Two people who were essentially on the outside. They were fringe kind of people. 
um, outsiders in every respect, not just in terms of um, um, ethnicity, but in terms of who they were and what they were like. And the line of the Savior comes through that. And for us, we sometimes look at our lives or our histories or the people around us and we make judgments. God is not interested in the past so much as he's interested in where you are now and what's actually happening and where you stand in relationship to him. So what initially takes place in the beginning of the story is that uh, Elimelech and Naomi go to Moab and they establish there and both of their boys um, settle down and marry Moabite women. And then for Naomi, the unthinkable happens. First Elimelech and then her two sons die. And she's left as a widow in a foreign place, which she's obviously made some kind of uh, settled life. And she has two daughter-in-laws in which she now has some kind of care responsibility. And so she decides the best thing for her to do is to go back where she knows Bethlehem, where she comes from, and to make her way back there. And she initially takes Orpah and Naomi, her two daughter-in-laws, with her. And then she somehow resolves and says, no, go back to your families. This isn't right. Go back to what you know, where you're accepted, where you, where you are, have grown up, basically. And um, to cut the story short, you can read it in chapter 1, eventually Orpah says, with great tears, she goes back. And, and um, Ruth says this, and we read it last week, I'll read it again. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, if it ever, if, be it ever so se- severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And so Naomi realizes that there's, there's a, an intense connection that Ruth has with her. And that commitment that Ruth makes, not only to Naomi, but in terms of following God, um, a little bit like what we read in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added on to you as well. There's this intensity of trust that Ruth displays in Naomi and in Naomi's God. Now, Naomi, by the time she gets back to Bethlehem, is Uh, somewhat discouraged and disconsolate and she asks to be called bitter. I think she's dealt with grief and she's been exiled before. She's come back poor with no sense of a future and she feels really at a low ebb. But even so, Ruth is able to see in Naomi something of her faith, her trust in God, that she is willing to hang out with her and stick with her and make the commitment to stay with Naomi and wherever Naomi goes, that she will make the commitment to Naomi's understanding of faith, which is quite remarkable. And I want to just look at the result of Ruth's commitment to God through this and the way in which she comes into the story of God, into the redemptive history of God's people and is part of his purpose. And the first thing to say is this that the, um, the, the way in which uh, things happen with Ruth is that 
And I think the best way of describing it is that God enlarges her horizon. He extends her border. He, he spreads the, 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 the width or the capacity of her life way beyond what she would ever have thought. And sometimes we look at our own personal circumstances and the way we find ourselves in the world. And it may not be going so well with us. And it often doesn't go well with us. There are times, obviously, when things are good. But there are many times when we struggle, when things seem to be, the wind seems to be blowing in our face. When you look at Ruth, she maintains this commitment to God and finds that in this process of her giving herself to Naomi and to God, that her world is enlarged. She comes back to Bethlehem to find that she becomes part of a larger thing. And uh, in chapter 2, where she um, has the encounter with Boaz, that we'll come to in a minute, but Boaz says to her, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. There is the sense of coming to peace, coming to rest, and as you do so, yes, it's risky. What she did coming back to Bethlehem with uh, Naomi was fraught with risk. What, what had happened? Naomi wasn't young anymore. What had happened to Ruth? What would have happened if Naomi had died at that point? She would have been a stranger high and dry in a foreign culture. It's, it's difficult. And so there was this element of throwing herself in trust on God. And Boaz recognizes the kind of things that she, thing that she has done. And um, and, and in chapter 3, she says to Boaz later on, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my kinsman redeemer. You take responsibility for now. She's asserting in a sense her right in terms of being part of the family. So from a, a, a situation where it was very difficult if anything had happened, it was fragile. She was living in a sense on the edge. edge. And when you come to the end of the story, she has been thoroughly integrated into the process of God's purpose. God enlarged her horizons. And the encouragement for us is this, that we can't always see the end of the story where we are at the moment. And sometimes, as I said, if we have a headwind or if there's, quite frankly, a storm blowing, we need to trust that as we throw ourselves on God, there is a way through it. It may look risky, but he is to be completely and utterly trusted. God enlarged her horizons. And secondly, through this whole process, he guides her steps. And what I find very interesting in this process is that when they come back to Bethlehem, it's the barley harvest. It's the uh, celebration of Pentecost, which we mentioned last week. And the... Um, they, they're all bringing in the barley harvest and Naomi says to Ruth, go out and glean somewhere. Now gleaning was simply that the harvesters would be cutting and harvesting and some of the stuff would fall, especially on the edge of the field, because all done by hand. And when they had moved through the field, um, the, the, the widows and the strangers and the very poor were allowed to come and pick up the little ears the ones that had been left over, the ones that had got shaken loose, the individual pieces. 
it was difficult backbreaking work because it, you had to look for what was there and Naomi goes out and it says in chapter 2 um, where are we verse 3 So, Naomi, so, so Ruth went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field of Boaz. Now we can easily miss those words. As it turned out. As it turned out is like saying, oh, it just happened to be. Or it was just random. It was just by chance. No, it wasn't. What happens is, as we look at this from, from the perspective of the narrator of the story, we, we get a glimpse from a hindsight perspective of the fact that God was in control of the situation, as it turned out. And I think sometimes when we look back on our lives, we can look back and say, as it turned out, it all worked out. As it turned out, we could see God's hand in this and that and the next thing. And it's important, I think, for, for us to acknowledge again, not only does God enlarge our horizons, but that he's actively involved through the whole process of it. As it turns out, um, she found herself. We find ourselves in the middle of God's story. And no matter what happens, we're held by the trust that we have given to him in that situation. And then as it goes on, we see... Um, how much God directed her footsteps as it, as it continues. Now, made me think of Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your footsteps. Now, sometimes it looks like we're making all the choices and we're the ones who are pushing and prodding and getting through life as it comes to us. But actually what's happening underneath and behind and undergirding all that is that God is directing our footsteps. And so it was with Ruth. He enlarged her horizons. He made her world larger and bigger. And he, he undergirded her. He led her. He guided her footsteps in everything she was doing. Psalm 37 is... One of her great-grandson's psalms, Psalm of David, Psalm 37, um, verse 23 and 24 says this, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hands. And that's what God did with Ruth. He looked after her. He upheld her. And God loves leading us and directing us into the paths that he wants us to go. The third thing is this, simply, God meets her needs. Now, when they arrive back from Moab, the two, the, two, the two widow women, Naomi and Ruth, they have nothing. They come as they are. They have no access to anything. They have no money. They have nothing. And as we read from chapter 2, verse 12, and chapter 3, verse 9, about God's provision that Boaz prays for Ruth and that Ruth then um, acknowledges and gives back in a way to Boaz as his responsibility. These two hungry women who come back to Bethlehem, they are um, unable to care for themselves. They're at the mercy of the people around them. And what's beautiful and wonderful is that not only does um, 
Ruth end up gleaning in Boaz's field. But Boaz brings her into the conversation with his own servants. And then he says to his servants, make sure that you leave enough for her to glean. And then in chapter 3, when he has um, said to her, he will redeem her, he, he, he brings her and, and, and takes uh, six measures of the harvest and gives it to her. And she takes it back to Naomi. And there is this amazing sense of how God provides for and blesses Naomi through Ruth and, and, and obviously Ruth herself. There's a, um, a, a really wonderful uh, verse in Psalm 34 just before where David is also in a, in a really, really tight spot and um, he's in th threat of his life and the psalm is about that whole incident. Interesting to go and read it, but in verse um, 10 it says this, Lions may grow weak and hungry. And if you remember David's history with killing lions and bears and everything. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, what we're not saying here is that it's a cause and effect thing. If you just do this, then God will uh, make you rich. But what it is saying is that when we follow God, those things that are important for our well-being, those things that do actually make us rich, God will make sure that we have it. He will provide for us. He will watch over us. And I think it's uh, good to just read this whole passage that comes from the Sermon on the Mount as a reminder to us as Christians. Um, Matthew 6, verse 24 to 34. I'm going to read the whole section here. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will de be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not more, much more, clothe you, you O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall I eat? What will I drink? What shall I wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first his kingdom. That's where this context is. That's the context of this verse. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Not only are Ruth's horizons broadened, not only does she experience God's undergirding guidance of, 
of her footsteps and the direction of her life. But there is the sense of God meeting her needs. And so too for us. And then finally, there is this whole understanding of the joy of God. The conclusion in chapter 4 is that um, uh, Boaz and Ruth are married. They um, uh, form a family and Obed is their first son, who is Jesse's father and David's grandfather. Now, don't forget that Ruth had left Moab when she left, with the uncertainty of not knowing where she was going, with a widow to, to direct her, having been recently bereaved of her husband. Those, that was the context of her journey when she made her commitment to God. And um, we don't know exactly how long it is, but it's um, possibly a fairly short time later. Everything had changed for her. She is married, she's secure, she has a husband who cares for her. She is, um, in every sense, a picture of the way in which God provides for his children. And there is this celebratory end to the story. Now, I'm not naive. Not everything ends happily in this life. There are, if you go even to Hebrews and you read how the people of faith were um, trusting that God would come through for them. And there were some of them where, where it didn't always end up in the way that they would have liked. And sometimes quite desperately. But the truth is that the long-term prospects for us as the followers of Jesus is that there is a heavenly city. There is a, a world and a life to come as an extension of this one that is forever, that is everlasting, that this world in which we live in now is just a brief history of the future, and that God has, res has, has reserved for us a never-ending sense of peace and joy and life. And we catch glimpses of it in this one. And we are called to be um, ambassadors, to be beacons and lighthouses of what's possible in the in the next seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these other things will be added but it's the king that we seek first it's the king that is the centerpiece of this whole thing god graciously as it says to us in paul says to us in romans 8 verse 32 how will uh, God has freely given his own son. How will he not also graciously and freely give us all things? And we live with that expectation and hope as Christians. But the whole story of Ruth is an encouragement for us to settle back and rest and trust that God is our King and that he will enlarge our horizons, and that he will uh, guide our footsteps, that he will provide for us, that he will give to us the joy of our salvation. G.K. Chesterton says this at one stage, You cannot finish a sum how you like, but you can finish a story how you like. 
The story of our lives are not a sum. It doesn't have a predetermined conclusion. The story of our lives can be influenced by the choices that we make now. And Ruth is an encouragement to us to seek first the kingdom of God, to put aside our um, need to control and have everything within our own power, to trust that God will enlarge our horizons, that he will guide our footsteps, that he will provide for our needs, and that he will increase our joy.